Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Books Boys, live from the Grand Library, the Dean and PJ. Guys, keep calm and read your tickets. Uh, PJ, we're using the Anna Karenina method here. He's PJ. Hello there. I'm the Dean, and we are the Books Boys. Books. No, you. We What's did a, the, the one and we missed a bit. It's the one and only. Oh and no! This is the Books Boys show. Get it? Buy it? <laughs> Books. Books. Well, I'm very, I'm very conscious about it because we talked about this. It's always the same. Cancelled. We've been taken off the air. Look how annoyed Alfred is. Look at him there. Alfred is very annoyed. He's very vexed. <laughs> we but were just joking about the intro question. being always the same, and then we messed it up. And now we're, we're now we're kind of conscious about it. We had it nailed <laughs> down. But anyway, I do have a serious question to ask you, Dean. And the first one is: Is this a holiday? I think it is what we're doing currently right now. This is what the uh, what the Yanks would call a vacation, right? This is what's happening. L- literally, yes. Every day is a holiday. And second of all, books. So, what's it all about, Dean? Again, I ask you for the. Uh, it's a. Uh, for, for, it's in the toilet paper aisle, right? I think it's in the toilet paper aisle. I'm not sure. Um, I will come back. I will interestingly come back to this in one of the books I mentioned, and you see that it all ends in a circle. But I will tell you that uh, maybe maybe books are found in mysterious places. All right. I'm that. Well, here we go. It's Books Boys, episode twenty-eight, I believe. Uh, I've read a fair bit. Uh, PJ, do you want to tell us this month's sponsor, and then we'll just get cracking? All right. The sponsor we have for today is. Lenchen's Secret Service, Germanic fairies fulfill all your wishes, especially for little girls who want to shut up their parents and get their ice cream nonstop. Well, why don't you contact Endes Lenchen's fairies, the Germanic type, and they can get all sorted out for you. You can get it on, on the inter- internet, the tintranet, and also inside your heart. But be careful what you wish internal. for. It's internal. Hey, be careful what you wish for, because as a great... Sage once said from Ireland called Oscar Wilde's. There are two types of tragedies tragedies in life. One is that you don't get what you want, and one is that you get it. So be careful. Lenkin's fairies, Germanic and true.com. There we go. You can get it there and uh and get that. Guys, while you're on the internet, I don't know if you heard of this thing, the internet, while you're on there also, go to patreon.com slash booksboys. And you can uh, get uh, all of our other shows and things. We did like a lot of Playboys. What are we doing at the minute, PJ? We're doing some uh, ancient Greek plays. Oh, yeah. We're going very Aristophanian. 
and uh, we reviewed, uh, well, you and Alex reviewed two, and I reviewed one of them. I believe it is the only, the one and only, the incredible, the spicy, shall I add? The spicy, yeah, he was quite spicy. It's Aristophanes uh, on the first few episodes. We have already released the clouds. The birds is about to be released, and we're also about to record Lysistrata for the next, um, the next release. Okay. So for, does... for you, for you Greek fans, um, we are going to do a month. What should we just say? I don't know if that's a spoiler, but we are going to record one episode a month. Mm-hmm. Sometimes an extra episode, like maybe an occasional extra one. Yeah, but at least one a month. But this year is going to be all Greek, so we're really going to analyze the core. Uh, four Greek writers, the, the three tragedian, tragedians, and the one comic that survived time. Mm. And we're going to take a semester, I think you can call it, well, a trimester for each author. Yeah. So, And just before we do that, we also released another play. We we did Historia de una Escalera this month. Um, just before Ooh. we got stuck into the Greeks, we did one last Spanish play. So you can uh, check that one out as well. Also known in Japanese as Kaida no Monogatari. And it's a brilliant play that me and Alex, well, I've read it first. And then when I was in Japan, Alex and I, our mutual friend uh, from Playboys, we actually did see it. The Japanese production is amazing. And then Tina and I just reread it there in, in Spanish. And it's an amazing play. I love it so much. Yeah. So okay. you can get all of that stuff. And of course, on booksboys.com, you can find links to that. You can get the, our, our latest music, the 2022 tips. You can buy a Books Boys t-shirt with the, Is This Holiday on it? So do all the things, <laughs> do all the things. And on the Books Boys podcast feed, listeners will have noticed some older episodes of Playboys and Dark Place Dreamers are already releasing for free. So you can just get a little taster. And if you want the new stuff, you got to go on Patreon. It's only like $3 or something, two, three pounds. Hot, hot, hot. It's very spicy indeed, guys. So, so tune in and it, it, it costs you just as much as, a, you know, as an aubergine from McDonald's. You know what I mean? That kind of price. It's it's very affordable. I always get my aubergines from McDonald's. Exactly. So it's that kind of pricing. It's <laughs> ridiculous. It's good content. And well, there's so much in it actually that we start releasing it for free. That's the honest truth. Let's let's put all the cards we, on the table. We actually have customers. more episodes of Playboys than we do of Books Boys now. Yes, I believe it's uh, we've got well, I don't know how many, but let's just go Dostoevsky in here and put all the cards on the table. No, no messing about. Yeah. He was a big card player, you know that day, no? It was a, it was a man oh, for the drink, a man for the gambling, a man for the ladies. He was a... Uh, then he became very religious, so it's an interesting chap. That's sure. another episode. Because we're not talking about Dostoevsky, we're talking about... Do you want to go first, or should I? Sure, I'll go first, because I've got a lot, so we'll break it up. Um, my first two I'm going to do back-to-back. Um, well, I'm going to... Hold on, hold on. I'm going to I'm going to bet you probably sneaked in a last-minute Balzac. Or last minute, uh, Galdos, or if no. it's not that, no, the, I did sneak in a last minute book. You're not wrong, um, <laughs> but it will surprise you. Actually, I'll mention it now. I, after all the Cervantes and the Spanish literature and everything, I just wanted a palate cleanser. So I'm about two thirds of the way through um, a Harlan Coben, a Harlan Coben book, um, which wow. is a just a crime thriller. It's kind of more of a guilty pleasure. And I'll just mention it briefly at the beginning of next month's episode okay. um, once I finished it. Um, but I, I did I did sneak in a book. Uh, you're right. But I just want to have a you know. Before, I, I'm gonna, gonna... I have a Dumas lined up for right afterwards. So you're not wrong. <laughs> All right. Okay, okay. So anyway, that's something to look forward to more like, isn't it? 
So what about chronology? Well, how did you start your year? I started off reading The Entre Meses by Cervantes. Um, I'm going to be honest. It's getting tricky to read this uh, 1600s Spanish literature. It's just, it's a bit tedious, you know, but what the Entre Meses are, I have here a collection of eight little sort of 20 page um, there are entre-acts, right? So these were performed, in theory, between two acts of a play. So you would go oh. to like a bigger play, and these would be little short bits that would be in the middle. The problem is Cervantes's uh, theatre work was considered not actually very good and was not really ever performed. So well, there... like, uh, a bit of background story. I mean, Lope de, Lope de Vega was the playwright of that era, and he yes. was probably very jealous of Cervantes, because he was the big playwright who wrote, I think he wrote over 120 plays. He wrote a amount. lot, yeah. We'd love to but hit up to some be, of those someday. But to be fair, um, no, no play ever surpassed Don Quixote in, in kind of critical and popular appeal. So I think, so that's why I want to know now, are his plays really that bad? Or was he just jealous or was it a mix? Kind of? How, how do yeah. you feel about it? I mean, obviously like, it's no Don Quixote, but I think they're fine. You know, I'm not going to go through all eight of them, but I'll just give you like one or two kind of as a sample. The yeah. one I liked the most was the Entremes del Juez de los Divorcios. So this is, uh, um, I think there's three or four little instances in these 50, I, 20 pages. I of think you have to translate for the non-Spanish speakers. Dina. I think okay. you get the impression. I, I forget that there, there are non-Spanish speakers listening. So this is yeah, a, a case people. of, uh, it's a divorce judge, right? And okay. here's a few cases of divorce. And it's just these couples come before him and they say, look, it's usually the wife, but I think once it's the husband. They say, look, I want a divorce. And then they say, you know, why do you want a divorce? And they say, I want to divorce this thing. And he says, well, don't you mean this man? It's like, well, if he was a man, I wouldn't be divorcing him, would I? You know, like, just, just <laughs> pull on the insults. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> That's pretty good. I like that so far. So that was quite funny. And uh, there's another one that just complains about, like, oh, his, his impertinences and his sicknesses and everything about him is just wrong. Look, at, I have to be married to this anatomy. Like, look at this thing here, you know. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's they're meant to be just kind of funny. Um, there's one okay. of them reasons I want to divorce her for four reasons but the four reasons are like they're all the same thing we don't get on well the thing that she knows about that I can't mention the other thing and the end he doesn't really give any reasons you know um, and in the end the judge says I tell you what no one's getting divorced today I don't grant any of the divorces and then some musicians come in some gypsy musicians come in and they play guitar and sing and it just ends <laughs> it's very weird <laughs> <laughs> so it's more than absurd isn't it I mean, the, it's strange yeah, yeah. And actually, okay. I think at least five or six of these eight end with gypsy musicians coming in and they all dance. <laughs> That's like the very... <laughs> well, you had a sense of humor, right? You know, so man, despite, you know, despite missing, uh, you know, some parts of his body and having been in prison for a few years by pirates, being in financial debt, he still kept his sense of humor. So that's kind of... Mm. Just to give you a quick hint of some of the... That was the best one. But to give you a quick hint of one or two of the others... Um, there's one where a girl called Leonardo is um, someone kind of comes begging um, kind of a poor student and she takes him in and then her husband kind of comes around and it's like why have you got this you know man hidden here and, and that kind of thing and I guess you're meant to assume there's adultery going on but then the guy's so witty that he wins over the husband and the husband lets him stay and so he's kind of unwittingly like you know cuckolded himself or whatever 
And then there's another one where a guy and two guys are competing for it for a girl's love. And the dad kind of fairly says, no, you choose like this is your call. It's nothing to do with me. And she's like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I have to choose. And you just, you know, he has to choose. And she chooses the priest over the musician because um, they say that musicians are kind of, you know, worthless chaps, uh, essentially. Oh, <laughs> but they all end with just like, and in come the musicians and everyone's just like singing and dancing as they, you know, leave the stage. So it's that's that's a very... That's a very George R. Martin view, you know. I, I took a bit of I took a bit of offense with that, you know. The, the uh, Games of Thrones. I never saw it, but the books. I've read the first book, and there was constantly, it was constantly kind of putting the musicians down. I thought, yeah, I don't know if you ever saw the Amanda Show, but they would do skits in a court where at the end of every trial they would say, "Bring in the dancing lobsters," and these two guys in like lobster costumes would dance, and it kind of reminded me of that. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe it was influenced by that. So the second thing I read was more Cervantes, and this oh, one was a gift from one. our previous Patreon co-host Mireya, Edi Novelas Ejemplares. These are kind of, no, they're, they're about 50 to 60 pages. So, they're, so kind of exemplary novellas. Novels. Yeah, they're just like... Yeah, still yeah. the length of a novella. Um, and I think he did write more, but my particular collection has three. It has. Look, I've, never, I've never read them, but isn't the yeah? He's read. He's done more on that, but because I think it's usually uh, released as in two, in two volumes. Yeah, but I think there's are, a lot. Isn't, actually. The, isn't the point of uh, novelas implies supposed to be that they're novelas and they're supposed to give you a moral lesson? They're like an example of moral code, or or I, I, I guess yeah. I'll I'll be honest. Um, I I find my Cervantes this month a bit. The stories are good, but just reading through them was kind of dull, you know. It's difficult to ta- to get through this 1600 stuff. But there's three here. There's Rinconete y Cortadillo. That's the um, most famous one, I think, of all of them. And, and, and sorry, excuse me, when you say 16th century, this must have been written, though, at least at the latest, uh, you know, 1500. Sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. I, I should say 1600, 17th century, but but early. So I think, for example, yeah, yeah, um, because, this word is because 1613. Oh, so what? So this was written between um, and Don Quixote volume one and volume two. Yeah, I think a lot of his oh, work right. was actually written between those two volumes. All oh, right, okay, okay, just to make some, give yeah. some clarity for folks. Yeah. And this one's okay. set in Sevilla, and essentially it's supposed to give us a little bit about People from, you know, these two guys meet up, they're kind of from a different social background, they form a bit of a bond, and they fall in with a kind of Oliver Twistian gang of thieves kind of uh, situation. Yeah, and it, you know, it's nice, but it's all, you know, whatever. The second one is, El, I don't even know how to pronounce, it's the El Licenciado Vidriera. So Vidriera being that he's made of glass. Licenciado? How does that translate? Boy, I, I'm, 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 I'm licensed, but it's not quite the same. Word. Yeah, like it doesn't. I don't know how that would work. Like the crystal licensed. I mean, I'm not even sure what he's trying to get at. The ah, okay. Wikipedia says the lawyer of glass. Um, right. That's... Okay. Yeah, licenciado is like I think an old word for a type of lawyer. I'm not sure if it's the same as a bogago. So mm-hmm. the well, I like that. Well, I like the concept. So like a lawyer made of glass. That's already striking my fancy. I like those kind of imageries. But it's is a guy, it, he, he tries to take a love potion and then he ends up accidentally turning into glass and it you know, becomes that? a whole, whole thing. That one was kind of cool, but I, I feel like the stories in these are really good if I could just pay attention to them, but I'm reading them and I'm just so bored with the old, you know, 
I don't know what it is. They're just it's it's like a lot of people try to read like Dickens or Shakespeare and they get very bored by the style. Like well, middle I March. do not think you're overdoing it. I feel like there's there's a time for Dickens, there's a time for yeah. you know, there's a time for uh, some more modern stuff, you know. No, maybe maybe do that in a easy. different language as well, you know. Take it easy, Dean. Not you know, I know you're uh, you're an Alcibiadean chap, you know. You're a bit like Alcibiadean, <laughs> but like let's take it easy there. Take it down a notch. Was your next novel at least? The well, there was one. there was one more. I'll just nice. mention quickly within that collection: the, uh, oh, yeah. the Jealous Extremaduran, El Celoso Extremeño, also sixteen thirteen. Um, so I read three of the twelve novelas ejemplares, and oh, right. um, this one just about a soldier who goes down, kind of traveling into, um, I think Peru in particular, but they also just kind of mention Latin America in general. Um, now the just, stories sound awesome. That's the thing, as you said, they do sound like they do. That sound like all kinds of stuff like I would like to read. I like mm. to give this by myself. I'm gonna read a, a sentence from the Wikipedia on this one, just because this is quite the way they phrased it on the Wikipedia is very funny. So the, he has this plan. It's foiled by a younger guy who seduces his wife, Leonara. I think that's the same name as the wife who was being seduced in the Entremes as well. So Leonara is up to all sorts of shenanigans, and then he ends up blaming himself when he finds his wife in bed with someone else. Right? So it's actually very similar. Says, ashamed of the way he treated Leonara, he quietly retreats and dies. <laughs> so he just dies. Quietly retreats and dies. <laughs> so that's brilliant um so i enjoyed the idea of those stories more than i really enjoyed actually having to read through them to be honest yeah, yeah okay um, and i even read the first one twice to try to take in a bit more but it, you know so i decided i needed a palate cleanser and pj i i made a mistake i the thought why don't... of literature what did you read i just thought why don't i read something a bit more fun a bit more modern uh, a nice short kind of book sort of about 250 280 pages i made a mistake i read um this particular um piece of garbage um called the road um by cormac mccarthy winner of the pulitzer prize in 2007 apparently Um, this is the worst book i've read in my life Right, okay. absolute unmitigated trash um the guy's a hack i'm sorry i i don't think i've ever given such a bad review on this show before in over two years of doing it but this guy's an absolute hack he's semi-literate he he can't write there's punctuation missing there's apostrophes just left out the dialogue is embedded within the convert within the narrative there's no speech marks you can't tell when the talking stops or starts you can't tell who's talking it's horrendous. I've written down here dialogue for idiots. I'll give you a sample. Can we wait a while? Okay, but it's getting dark. I know. Okay. They sat on the steps and looked out over the country. Oh, hold on. That bit's not dialogue, but you can't tell because there's no speech marks anywhere. There's no one here, the man said. Okay. Are you still scared? Yes. We're okay. Okay. Like, is this a three-year-old wrote this? Like, this is horrendous. Well, hold on a second. I don't mind uh, not no uh, punctuation. I mean, James Joyce and Jose Saramago, they do that. So he's obviously trying. I've never read McCarthy, but um, um, but but you know, like um, some people do like him, especially that he's famous. For those of you who don't know, he's famous as a neo western kind of novelist. Uh, Stephen King is a big fan of. Bloody if you Meridian. want to know how to write a novel, just go and read Dickens. But to be fair now, I think on the road I'm here that it's got bad reviews also because it's completely different to his Western, supposedly. Um, right. So I can't say anything. I haven't read anything. But 
I feel like it might have been the wrong book to start. Bloody Maybe, Meridian. I, I heard Bloody, of the Bloody guy, Meridian. you know. Bloody Meridian, written by McCarthy, is considered by Stephen King to be one of the finest American novels ever written. So mm. it's Maybe I, the guy is. I withhold my judgment on Stephen King, um, and also just the American literature in general. But um, I like it. I like a bit of Stephen King, a bit of early Stephen King. Sometimes he loses me. He's written some stuff, and there's plenty of good American literature. Then you know, I think I there's know, a, for a man who's traveled, for a man who's traveled around, and especially in literature, the Hispanic literature, the Dow seems to have missed out a huge part of the North American continent. I just want to say. Yeah, no, I joke. I, I joke. Because we've interviewed um, American yes. authors who've been very yes. good, but when I read the kind well, of yeah, and, modern and fair, classics you know, from there, I don't usually and, like them. And, and you just read like three Western novels that you like. So to be fair, yeah. you do. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, so, I didn't mean to. I was going to so say it's, it's, the plot of this book, um, yeah. you know, it's an idea. It's post apocalyptic, right? Um, there is no what you would call character development, and there is no what you would call world building. Um, mm. So essentially, we just have a snippet of the life of a man and his son who are called the boy and the man. And they're walking along the road, the titular road. And that completes the plot summary. Um, Because that's really all that happens. Very little happens in the book. Um, There's a bit of a tragedy at the end that I won't go into. But 90% of it it is just they're walking along the road. Maybe they see some people. Are those scary people? Okay, let's hide over here. Good, that threat has gone. And they just like that. That's it. And the conversations are really weird and stilted. I can never tell if there's dialogue or not. They don't tell us what happened. Like what happened that the world is over. Where are we? What's going on? What's the objective? Nothing is taught. I think this would be a good film, um, but it was not a good book. Well, it's, turned, it's been turned into a film. Oh, has um, it? Well, there we go. Yeah. Watch the film. But, um, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, I still would like to see, like, read the first, the first few pages, but. Um... It doesn't sound like it was the best read. Uh, I will you. give a, one or two little details. They event at one point they stop into the house that the man used to live in. Um, nothing happens there, but they just pop in and then they decide they should leave. Um, and at another point they do meet a guy along the road and they kind of stop him and then they decide, okay, we'll we'll be mean to him, we'll take all his things. And then they say, no, we won't. We'll be nice and we'll let him go. So they let him go, mm. but. The little boy becomes sad. So his mother has already killed herself. And um, now it's just the boy and his dad. And, you know, at one point, there's a, the best moment of the whole book is when the boy kind of says, I want to see my mum. And the dad mm-hmm. says, do you mean you want to die? And the son says, yes. Oh, well, that's a, so that's, that, that's a powerful moment in the book. Um, the, the rest of it is nothing. There is a funny moment also where the little boy says to the man, what are our long-term objectives? And that's kind of funny. Um, but apart apart from that, honestly, it's nothing happens in it. I, I couldn't really recommend it to anyone. You know? Did, you, did you get a sense of, of Western feeling, even though it was post-apocalyptic? Not really, no. Okay. I mean, my, my main notes say semi-literate, talentless hack, and dialogue for idiots. Those are my my two main notes from this book. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I, I don't, honestly, I've been told the guy's good. Maybe I picked the wrong book. Um, I, I've been told no out of five. Yeah, yeah, I've been told myself, I, I've been, uh, I think I have a McCarthy book somewhere. I think one, all, all, all you pretty horses, all the pretty horses. And someone told me not to start with the world. But why so, can't um, he write? Why, why doesn't he put dialogue, speech marks? Why are there no apostrophes in words like don't and won't? 
I mean, what? But then hold on a second. I, I kind of get that though. I mean, he's experimenting around his language. Don't do it. What do you mean? It's like uh, it's like doing a Picasso. Don't do it. What's wrong with Renoir? You know. Wow, that's that's an opinion. Yeah, I like Picasso, <laughs> I like Joyce, and I like uh, Jose Saramago. You see, you might not like Jose Saramago at all, who I've mentioned a few times. Uh, you know, on blindness and great novels, um, great novels anyway, Portuguese. And he is famous for not putting punctuation, and his dialogue is mixed with the text, and everything's kind of put together. Um, so you might not like that at all. It sounds like a Saramago novel, but I love so. Mm. So I have different opinions. But you're a man of classic values and just like you don't, not too fan of Picasso. I mean, why would you even start with an experimental novel like that? But this, got, as you say, got bad reviews online. I Googled, I Googled um, Cormac McCarthy terrible. And I got, lo- I got lots of results that said Cormac McCarthy is terrible. Um, and well, they said like, well, Bloody Meridian is considered a classic, right? I mean, that's it. Yeah. Well, Maybe I, you should go with what's considered his best novel. That's what I'm saying. I read reviews about that. And this was recommended to me by like an intelligent, literate person, you know, but but the the it's just the, the you know all the reviews were like why can't he write why 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 does he write like a child <laughs> what what is this you know but on the back of it it says you know give this man a nobel prize you know what what's going on <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, so the modern has clashed with your i mean very big contrast you know don't you hold to literally 17th century and now you're in 2006 i think the book came out right or 5 or I and think, yeah, uh, it won an award in two thousand seven, so I'm guessing it came out in around 06 or seven or something like that. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, anyway, one one thing we can learn from this guys is uh, maybe start with the book that's considered among the best. You know, in this case, I hear Bloody Meridian is supposed to be really good, mm. uh, dark though as well. But um, so not not not. Do you think you give him another, a second chance? No, or not absolutely either? never. Okay. That's fair enough. If, so, if yeah, someone okay. would like to pay me to read another Cormac McCarthy book, then uh, sign up on Patreon or just just send money on PayPal. Uh, Books Boys Podcast. I think you can do that. But I'm not going to read one for free. Absolutely for never. Ask for a couple of hundreds kind of dollars accounts. <laughs> yeah, just just pay us nice. um, every every penny that you can, and we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, anyway, on that note, Dean, let me let's let's go for the sushi. Um, let's go for the cucumber sushi. Which was my reference before. For those of you who don't mm. know, the cucumber sushi was invented as a palate cleanser. It's not really a dish per se. It's to be taken between different types of fish sushis. Anyway, I don't know why, why I mentioned the old fish sushis. I'm vegan, so but I'm just saying. Back in Japan, I kind of learned that. And it's time for cucumber sushi. Something completely different. Let's talk about the end, but not okay. the end. Let's talk about Michael Ende. Ah, the author from Momo. He's back in the show, and a lot of people and... were interested in Momo when you reviewed it before. We got really? a lot of well, feedback I mean, on that. It is uh, maybe yeah. So it's been a while actually. Uh, I loved Momo. It was the first end the book I read, and as you remember, Dean, I was I was very enthralled with it. It is was considered for that year. Um, I think I mentioned my favorite three novels, and um, yeah, and. Um, but I've got to say, uh, Ende really oh, it's just it's beautiful. I, I just love everything about Ende. And I think you would too, uh, Dean. He, it, he's experimental to some extent, uh, more with his stories and imagery, I would say. Uh, a bit of background information, guys. And a bit with his writing. I, explain, I have to explain. In, uh, I want to explain a bit, bit by bit. But first we start off with El Secreto de Elena, 
I found this in a secondhand bookshop here in Las Palmas, where I'm mm -hmm. living, guys, back in Gran Canaria in the north side, Las Palmas. And, um, you know, even though I was really enthusiastic seeing it, and I've never heard of this book from Ende, I was slightly reluctant to get it first because it's in Spanish. Not there's anything wrong with that, but I maybe um, it's because I, I usually try to read the stories, or I have in the past. I'm more flexible now. In the past, I was trying to read more books in the original language so really i was when i was in germany i was always looking out for ente the ironic thing is i i almost never found ente in mm. germany i found one book which i mentioned in a second uh and i just didn't want to pay 20 euros i do but i found this yeah. is this going to be like the uh the, the glenn cooper books that were written in english but i could only ever find them in spanish is it like that well, it seems <laughs> because i find i find ente a lot here in, in gran canera and um the thing is, this book I've never heard of. It's called El Secreto Elena. It's called Lenchen's Geheimnis or The Secret from Lenchen. And it's actually, it's been, it's actually a very late um, short story. It's a short story, actually, ironically. I thought it was, right. oh, what's this, a novel? I thought it was a, to be honest, a novel. Yeah, but they took, they took a short story. It's got big writing. And ah. to be fair, it's the publication is Barco de Vapor, which is really, uh, Kind of like the release. I know them from my childhood. They release books for nine-year-olds, eight-year-olds. So it's originally a short story. It did read like a novella. It didn't even read like a short story. It's essentially, it's one of his later tales. A few years before he died, I think he wrote this. Well, Momo was written in the 70s. And it's got beautiful illustrations. Uh, it starts off with a girl called Lenchen. And it starts off with the phrase, a bit paraphrasing here, but Lenchen is extremely kind uh, as long as her parents behave well and uh, are obedient to her and do whatever she tells them to do. Unfortunately, this happens not very often. Oh, no. And so that's how it begins. And I assume she's about six or seven years old. And it starts off with her asking for more ice cream and for she's asking her mom to clean her shoes. She asked her very politely, and usually when you're very polite, you get these things. You However, should. The that's that's like, what I learned. If you do it politely, you get the things. But daddy says, you know, five ice creams are a bit too much. You hurt your stomach. And mommy says that, you know, it's time to clean your own shoes. And so she's having a big dilemma, and she decides to go out and find a solution. Now, she's, uh, she's a big believer in solutions. So she goes out looking for a fairy because she's scared that fairies are there to solve problems. And she goes out, she goes out, finds a police officer, and the police officer, of course, knows where the ferry is. And he tells he tells her to go to uh, the rain tells her to go to Rain Street 13 on the superior floor. So she goes there, and funny enough, uh, the closer she gets, it starts to rain, and it's really raining heavily. And eventually she finds the place. It's a staircase leading up to a door and no room or no building behind it. It's just, it's just the doors up in the air. Um, and yeah, she goes there. She's wondering what's going on, but she's not, she's kind of taking it by a stride. There's an Alice in Wonderland feeling, in the sense right. of letting go of logic, obviously. And uh, she opens the door and voila, she, she opens the door and on the other side is an ocean or a ah. sea. And there's a boat waiting for her. She goes on it and it just magically brings her to the other side. As soon as she arrives on the other side, the ocean and the island disappear and she's in a normal room. And there is a woman there uh, sitting in front of her. 
and it's midnight. And even though it wasn't midnight when she left, but now it's completely midnight. There it is. It's beautiful pictures, by the way. I love the illustrations by Yindra Chapik. Those are the mm, German that's illustrations. Very nice. Well. Yeah, I really think that it's beautiful. And I do enjoy these kind of grim fairy tale illustrations. Mm-hmm. And the fairies has um she's she's a woman and she says, Oh, well, you're just a woman. And she says, Well, not really. I've I've got something distinguishing, and it's the fact that she's got 12 fingers. And then she explains that fairies actually look like humans, but they've always got one trait different. One trait. Like, that's a nice image. I'd like you to send me a photo of that, and maybe a nice photo of you Uh, holding the book for our Instagrams. I shall shall indeed. Um, Feeding this book um, on the beach a lot, and I just, the sea and everything was beautiful. Why why are you not sending me sexy pictures of you reading on the beach? This would really get us uh, taking off online. I think you might have a point. Maybe are you listening? Would you like to see more stuff? Um, well, you know, leave some comments behind and let's just see what happens. You know, let's just see what wishes, you know, get, get it and your wishes will be fulfilled. So it's midnight, of course, because the fairy says the first wish is always a midnight. And she says, well, would it be a second wish? Well, you can get a second wish, but it will come at a great, great price. And she says, okay, no, don't worry about it. Uh, look, I want my parents to uh, be obedient to me and t- and do exactly what I tell them to do. Fairy says, oh, oh, I think that sounds like a great idea. Here you go. And she gives she gives her two cubes of sugar. Two okay. sugar uh, ah, two one for, one sugar. for each parent, right? One for each parent. And then she magically reappears uh, backwards in time. Slightly, she goes back in time a bit, a few hours. And her parents are just making tea. And without thought, without thinking, well, I think she has a brief, no, no, sorry. She has brief doubts for the first time in the books, but she goes against them and puts it in the teacup. And what happens? The parents, they eat, they want to drink the tea. And what do you think happens then? They do everything that well, she, she wants, right? Well, no, no, no. Of course not. No, wait, Tom, no, no. She wants, uh, she wants her mom, her dad to do something. I think is yeah. I think they're watching TV, and and she says, "I want to watch, um, you know, cartoons." They said, "Well, you know, watching cartoons." And he immediately, he immediately uh, goes half a, uh, he immediately goes down half in size. So every time the parents uh, disobey the child, ah. they get reduced by by whatever their size is in half. And then the mom is deeply upset, and she's like holding her husband, who's half the size now, what he was before. And then she screams at the girl. Less and, useful to her. Yeah, and, and like, well, yes, it's a bit, it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> and and she disobeys her child, and then she also turns the same size. And then again, they're really upset, and then they, and, and so they kind of disobey three times, and they always go a half in size, and they're really terrified at the end because the girl explains to her, "Look, if you, the more you disobey me, then, then this will happen." And um, and here's where it gets interesting. So the girl has what she wants, and the parents are obeying her, but she starts to realize maybe not so much fun. You know, no one's cooking, mm-hmm. no one's cleaning, no one's, and no one's there to wrap her up uh, in bed. And um, she should have thought about that. She should have not thought about that. And things go a bit dark then because she begs her, starts begging her parents to just not disobey her. But they if only of... children were more intelligent and thought ahead. And um, the thing is, they accidentally disobey her uh, sometimes, you know, because 
because he, he kind of they kind of lose it. They're kind of panicking. He said, "No, no, stop it now! Get me out of here!" She puts him in a she puts mm. them in a matchbox at one point. I think they're feeling a bit, you know, you know, a bit degraded as you would if you're yeah. putting them in a matchbox. Right? And they don't have clothes anymore. They're wearing napkins, I think, as dresses. And like the dad's wearing a napkin dress. So, you know, you know you're not in your best self. And you're there to bang. And they turn really small. And she's terrified. So she goes out to seek the fairy for the second wish, which comes at a great cost. And okay. I'll leave it there. Sounds but intriguing, though. The interesting thing is it's difficult to find a fairy this time. And she has to go to the, to the wind street. And it's more oh. of a challenge. Uh, so the second wish becomes more of an adventure. Okay. Essentially, though, it's essentially though it's it is written for younger authors. But but I just want to say, Michael Ende always said he's not a children's author. He's just a, a writer for everyone mm. between the age of I think he said that between the age of eighty-eight and four, and that he had okay. once had a saying. Fair. So it's really yeah. It's I suppose you can read it as a children's book. It's marketed as a children's book with huge typing and pictures, um, but. So um, I love Ender because he talks about, I suppose, uh, universal kind of themes. And yeah, it's about a disobedient child and there's a grim-esque kind of nature to it more than a momo. Um, yeah, it's still a very enjoyable uh, short story. I think you can get it in a collection of short stories as well, translated, as well as the children's edition, where the thing is also be translated into English. So nice and easy uh Short story, uh, Lentian Secrets by or by my, and you know, my, people my like it time. when we do books that are also available in English, actually. Exactly, yeah, it's not just about the uh, you know, I hear that uh, rumor, you know, <laughs> exactly. Sometimes they are not available in English and people get well, uh, very we often, sad. We often review things that are not available <laughs> in other tongues, that's right. I'm going to come back with another book or two, but first, if you've got a few seconds, I'm going to just pitch our patreon again where's oh, my yeah. funky ad get down funky the facts that will be presented are true he's pj hello there now pj what have we learned about shakespeare Hello. Dark Place Robert and Playboy Alex. <laughs> Doing all right. Glad to be here again. So I've given you those nicknames. I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where people will know you from. That's why you're going to know me from that one. But let's carry on anyway. Hello, Mother. Can you hear it? Join us for Shakespeare reviews, Spanish plays and poetry, rock star interviews, film reviews, Dark Place Dreamers, and more. Patreon.com slash and now also with Greek plays. Funky, get down to it. Is this a holiday? It's always a holiday. That's but what I say. That's a that, that's a great quote from JC. I'm not talking mm. about Jesus Christ. It was also a strong figure, but I'm talking about Julius Caesar. So Guys, get down. Is this a holiday? Read the Anna Karenina method. Uh, keep calm and read your Dickens. Doc lit. Uh, <laughs> Marianella drama and all of the, the other. Uh... There, there'll be more. There'll be more key terms popping up. Don't worry about. Don't worry about. Los chicos de los libros. And remember, um, never listen to our old rivals, the literature lads. They are imposters. They are not us. They look very similar, but there's something <laughs> odd about them. Shadowy, I'll say. Shadowy. Um, 
PJ, what I read, the, the book I read next has a, a story to it. So this is by right. our good friend, Jay Reader Archuleta. This is the last of the books he sent us, Rio Sonora. Mm-hmm. I yeah. read about, now this is short, right? So we've read three books by him. The first was short stories. Yeah. The second was short stories that kind of connected in a, in a narrative. And then this one is just a novel, okay? So there's a right. kind of backwards progression because we read them in reverse order, actually. But um, sorry, hold on a second. So is this the first book that came? I out? believe this is the first, first or oh, second. Really? Yeah. But the, the short stories were the newest one, I think, that we we interviewed him about. Um, nice. Again, this is a, a a Texan chap close to the Mexican border, and um, we have El pa- the El Paso Red Flame Gas Station and other stories. The best good horse, and this one Rio Sonora. A story of the Arizona Rangers. Now, the story to this is that I this book was stolen. Um, oh, no. I have it here, so you can see that I have recovered it. Um, but this book, along with a number of my other possessions, were actually stolen when I was about halfway or two thirds of the way through the book. And luckily, the uh, the police actually were able to recover it, and I, and I have it back, and I was able to finish it. So, oh, I guess that's that's nice. Yeah, that's that's very lucky. You'll and, see it uh, signed in there, you know. Well, yeah, you don't want to lose that. I mean, and you, you actually read three books of this. Now, that's that's very nice. And he was a lovely person to interview. I really enjoyed that interview. Mm-hmm. So, don't know if you remember, but one of the short stories that we mentioned just briefly um, had a chap called Owen who was they were in a kind of children's home kind of place, and they're very religious run. And he was sticking up for a boy who was being bullied. Well, the, the prologue of this novel is that short story again. Because this uh-huh. novel is about that chap, Owen, when he grew up. And he right. grew up to be an Arizona ranger. Right. And this is, so he's a lawman. And this is um, his story. I'm not going to go into it in any great depth. I think it's a fun one that I would just recommend people read. Um, but this is the first of the books this month that I, I genuinely really liked. Um, so I was very oh, glad to, to get it um, recovered. And that's a big compliment because you got McCarthy there, another really, another really modern classic Western author, and you much preferred this uh, book, uh, yeah. Sonora, so that's good. It's high I definitely did. Um, so in the beginning, we don't know that it's, it's Owen. They just refer to him in the opening kind of scene as the lawman. And he's, he's questioning this chap, Pete, and Pete says how long do you reckon it'll be? And he says, "Eh, about an hour or two, give or take, because that's their own journey to the prison, right? And he says, no, I don't mean that. I mean, how long will it be before they hang me? And he says, well, I don't know, Pete. So this guy's um, in for a bad time. And Pete says, what if I give you some information? And he says, return this, uh, you know, there's there's a gift that I want to give to my daughter, though it's questionable whether it really is his daughter, and I'll give you some information about a, a, another crime that was done. And then that kind of sets up the novel as the ranger's going to look into this uh, crime. And there's a backdrop of the fact that they're trying to make Arizona like a proper official American state at this time. And they're going to do away with the Arizona Rangers and make it like a sheriff and a proper professional police uh, department. Whereas these are like old school, almost semi-lawless kind of Rangers um, at this time. And they're trying to modernize and democratize and, and, and get rid of it. And, you know, this guy's old school. Yeah, yeah. 
and he's turned down lots of promotions because you know he doesn't want to work the desk or whatever. He just likes riding around on his horse, you know. As he would, yeah. Yeah. My lovely, 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 my lovely horse. That's another Patreon we, special there. Yeah, I think we got that we, on Patreon, right? I think that's, that's a, yeah, that's on the 2022 tapes as well. I know that uh, Playboy Alex just it loves that. Uh, <laughs> I know, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That was very sad, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, basically, Pete says, you know, you might remember about this case. Uh, this lady was killed and, you know, the gang that I knew were part of it. I was there. But basically, it was a woman and her little daughter. And he says, I promise you that I have nothing to do with the daughter. But basically, they raped and killed the woman and her daughter and her, like, I think the girl's 10 or something like her, her young child. So it's really, um, this book does deal with some very severe crimes. Yeah. Um, and of course, the lawman is, you know, disgusted by this. He kind of gets the confession from Pete. Doesn't promise him anything. Doesn't promise that it'll it'll help his sentence or anything. Just says it, you know, it might help. And then off he goes to deal with this. And there's uh, old man Mike Duff, and it turns out that you know this this woman and daughter were supposed to be his wife and and daughter, but then they say actually when they do the kind of exams, uh, the, the the postmortem or whatever, this woman's never given birth. That wasn't her daughter. And the daughter has uh, records of several other broken bones from the past that weren't from that from that incident. And was that maybe was it the dad? What was what was going on? And so this opens up like more um, more questions. And then there's another kind of bed. There's a chap, Sylvester Silva, and he's a president of the Banco del Mar. And they're getting involved. You know, these rich banker villainous types, they're getting involved in some kind of shady dealings as well. So there's all that kind of stuff going on. There's a bit with a firing squad that just kill a guy, and all, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff happening in the book, to be honest. And I I don't really want to like kind of give too many spoilers or ruin anything. Um, I'm very very happy that there is a nice love story at the end when he meet, just meets this lovely, beautiful, glamorous lady, and and kind of falls in love with her. But there's lots and bits and pieces going on along the way, and um, I think this one is certainly better than the. I, I liked it more than the previous three books I've reviewed this month. Well, that's that's high saying. Talk about Cervantes and McCarthy. So high compliments. Oh, I'm Cervantes, that... maybe McCarthy. I I think is a hack. We can uh, we as we can only look forward to the fourth book, right? Because so far he's released three books. You've read really, yeah, we've we've now reviewed all three, so I'll be keeping an eye out for any. Oh, I'd love to read this. As, as I just want to give you the yeah. sense of just this rain. You know, he's he's trying to. They're avoiding this new incoming technology and and the changes to the department of the and the state, yeah. and he just wants to ride around on his horse and kind of. But he's he's a good man. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to catch the bad guys. You know, um, uh... very noble. It's a relatively popular theme and in, in more modern Western novels, the decline of the Western civilization, more yeah. like the heyday and like holding on to it. And that's why I recommended to him back in an interview, John Williams' Butcher's Crossing. John Williams wrote the uh, stoner, but it became popular again after a re-release. So he's a 60s author, 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Butcher's Crossing is, a, is actually about that, like, uh, and... It's kind of like the heyday is gone. It's 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 not really valuable anymore. What do you do? And they're kind of like, yeah, but they haven't modernized yet enough. You know, haven't had a chance yet living out so back in this back in the countryside. So I find mm-hmm. an interesting theme. It's it's not so heroic. It's not so Hollywood esque as your as some other you know Western themes mm-hmm. are. So I, I like okay. it when it's like oh it's declining. You know, it's it's changing. Yeah, but yeah. Like, 
want to be part of the change, not really. Kind of. Well, very thankful to Mr. Archuleta uh, again for sending those through. And... Yeah, thanks very much. Appreciate that. Three books is very generous, first of all. And uh, yeah, yeah. I generally enjoy it. So I look forward to reading them myself. And the only reason why I haven't read them is because I'm just geographically not there. But when I, yeah, when I gonna, see it, we're going to meet up and send so many of the books over to yourself yeah. at some point. So I'll 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 hopefully, I'll be, hopefully, I'll be reviewing it then so we can review yeah. it fourth time. I'll do a, a quick um, break here to just mention what I've been up to this month. So, oh, yeah. other than having my my things uh, stolen, <laughs> I've been uh, back at the Mexican dancing, doing some polkas. I've been doing an evening class on women in Greek mythology, and oh, I, I have also been um, doing a bread making class, making uh, Irish soda bread, wheaten breads, a beautiful focaccia bread. So I've been keeping myself busy, PJ, because I, you just don't want any damn free time in your schedule, you know. But anyway, a shout out to all, um, a shout out to all the bakers in the world. Mm. I used to bake myself a lot of bread during COVID lockdown, actually. So I know that was very relaxing. Uh, I also wanted to mention I myself have been uh, mainly surfing a lot lately. So I've been back yeah. in Las Palmas, and. Um, yeah, and one of the reasons was that Lisa and I, we just wanted to learn how to surf properly because we never really had a course. So we had a few lessons and we're really learning it, like, like you know, neatly, like properly. So it's very nice to be actually learning how to stand and, and ride the waves. And we'll say it's very meditative and relaxing. Mm. Plus, as well as I would be doing more yoga and dancing and, you know, experimenting around with vegan cuisine and juices yeah. and also hiking around the place exploring the north side of, of Gran Canaria which I don't know too well to be honest I've sent you some videos and photos mm-hmm. having a fun time oh, that sounds like you're having a good time that's great and PJ I should mention to you just while it's popped into my head uh, Playboy Alex and I also went down to a, a certain jazz bar and we saw a, a oh. Mr. Uh, Kieran Burke uh, doing some uh-huh. uh, some singing so that was one and only talk about yeah. the parents that's my co-creator himself the, mm. my dad on episode five, oh, uh, shout out to him. Well, yeah, he's on episode five reviewing his mm-hmm. uh, stuff because he's also, as I said, got a great novel. Hopefully, it's going to be released soon. Um, I love it. Read it twice or twice yeah. now. It's amazing. So we did that, and you know, coming up, I'm actually going to be going to the theater a lot in February. So I'll mention this on the next theater. month's episode. But I'll be seeing at least two Shakespeare plays, and maybe oh. maybe one or two more plays in February and early March. So. Love a bit of Shakespeare. Shakespeare, I mean, like, you know, just oh, so good. You know, I came, uh, you know, Shakespeare came into my idea that we're, we're digressing a bit, but, um, you know, I, I just want to mention once again, I suppose it sounds like I'm advertising Patreon because I love Shakespeare coming out, but I do want to mention the fact that, um, you know, always reading Shakespeare and, and even thinking about the themes, it's just so timeless. If you look at the new, look at the new novels and films, it comes out even new plays. It's like, yeah, but you know, that's not as radical as as you know as Hamlet or Macbeth. I feel like that's crazy enough. I mean, could you get more crazy? Could you get more violent than Hamlet and more more existentialist mm. than, than you know? Could you get more violent than Macbeth? Sorry, or more more existentialist than uh, than um, uh, Hamlet, for example, just those two plays alone, or could you get as as surreal, I suppose, as *Midsummer Night's Dream*? I mean, that's 
powerful stuff like that. I find that always amazing. That it's I think so... I PJ, I think I subscribe to the philosophical theory that you can't tell if something is good in its own time. You know, it yeah, has yeah. to have been remembered and survived. Yeah. That's not to say that you know. Sadly, I'm sure lots of good things were lost. Like we're doing Greek plays, and only a few authors yeah, survived. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of good yeah. stuff was lost as well. But I'm just saying. Um, you know, it, it needs to have that longevity and to survive for so long and before you can really say this is a great work, you know? I think so, right. Yeah. And some of it is has ha, has not aged so well, you know what I mean? You see it sometimes with with books that have, or films that are at hype, like just a few years ago, and now it's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's like, you know, I wouldn't watch, I wouldn't watch it again now or, or read that again now. But Shakespeare's just like, Shakespeare just feels so modern. Especially that one, Macbeth. I just found like when I read Macbeth the first time, I thought this could have been written like this year. That's why yeah. I thought when I read yeah. it, this could have been written this year. It's so fun and so radical. It's so um, the language is different, but then uh, and then for me, that's just like okay, maybe it's just a different country. You know, like maybe it could, it might as well have been Sweden or some other, you know, kind of Saxon country and different yeah. acts and whatever. But it just feels so modern. But that's how you know it's good. You know. So, do you yeah. have any more books to review, or shall I crack on? Well, I have the ultimate book uh, to to review. Do you, should I should I get to it? Let's have one. Yeah. May I introduce you, Dean? What I consider one of the best books ever written. Oh wow! It's uh, Michael Ende again. It's Michael Ende again, and this time his classic magnum opus, The Never Ending Story. Ah. Now, so this have you is seen the full novel? I have heard of it, but I have not actually seen it. I must this confess. This is enough. No, I've seen the film once or twice, and I like the film. However, may I? Yeah, needless to say, the novel surpasses the film so much, and oh, yeah. for two reasons. And by the way, this is very—you know—authors are not usually happy about their adaptations in film. Poor Michael Ender was so upset about the adaptation that he's filed a lawsuit against the producers. I thought it was a bit over the top. A little bit much, right? Because, I mean, he's still got the money, I feel like. You know, I mean, paying the rent. I don't feel bad. He really was. He put a lawsuit against them and he, and he lost it. I thought it was like, a bit too It's extreme. like, you put in your lawsuit. Cool. So are you going to return all the money that you made from it then? You know? Yeah, because, I mean, he did make a lot of money. <laughs> probably. He might not have actually paid. Probably. I mean, like, yeah. Became a big hit. Now, but I see two reasons why. First of all, this is one of the most metaphysical, metaphorical, most profound novels I've ever read in my life. That's one wow. thing to say about Better than the um, Discovery of Heaven. Oh, I love Discovery of Heaven uh, for you really? guys. Really, DJ, you should tell us about that sometime. <laughs> I think I, they're not going to have two and a half episodes for <laughs> you. You spoke <laughs> a 30 minute monologue uninterrupted <laughs> on, on one episode. <laughs> I think I saw you yawn at one point, which to be fair, you rarely do. So I like uh, <laughs> uh, I loved and uh, Discovery of Heaven. Now, um, similar as in Discovery of Heaven, I still think about the Discovery of Heaven and the themes and the story. And even though, I've, okay, it's not been that long since I finished this book, but even while reading it and even now, it's, uh, God, my God, I'm not sure if that will ever go away, like Momo. So that's why I love about Momo. I still think about Momo. I still think about Scorpio Heaven. These are books whose themes always come back mm. to me. This is how I think now, about the... Dickens. I imagine that I'm walking well, around that's, that's... in Victorian London. <laughs> well, yeah, but you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. okay, but like those things stay. And that's what's, that's what's really precious. Like a, a story that disappears, I, I'm not, that's okay. Like, it's okay to be entertaining, but I feel like mm. I want to be touched profoundly, you know? Yeah. 
And now uh, I want to give a bit of uh, I, I'm, the, the danger is I might go on again half an hour in the monologue. So I will keep it nevertheless short, but impactful, I hope. So give a big a bit of more background story about Michael Ende. His dad, Edgar Ende, was a surrealist painter in the late 20s and 30s. So those who don't know, it's a whole movement related to Freudian psychoanalysis, a modernist movement where they really painted about a lot of sexual themes and just themes that are very dreamlike, you know, Ooh, la, la. that you wouldn't expect in a dream. And Edgar and uh, really wasn't, it wasn't one of the more se- sexual kind of orientated ones. It really just focused on the dreams. And Edgar ended up being German, doing this in the 30s. His paintings were banned by the Nazi regime. And eventually they were all burnt up in flames because of the bomb raids uh, where they were living. So pretty dramatic. And really what ended does, it's clear in Momo a bit, but it's really clear in the never-ending story that he really does admire his dad, what he's done. And one thing is clear that what his dad painted, his son, Michael, wrote. So he didn't paint what his dad, what his dad painted. He just wrote uh, these surrealistic themes. So you got it's full of surreal imagery, a bit in Momo. But um, the never-ending story is longer and it's more, more constant. It's set in... Uh, I suppose you call it low fantasy in the end because it's uh, it's the reality and then there is this other world called fantasia, but they're very loosely linked. They are linked. Okay. It's not, uh, and it I prefer off, low fantasy, as you know. Oh, no. no. But now, uh, anyway, so that's a background story that this is someone who admired his dad's paintings and he painted dreams. So in some sense... Uh, Edgar Ende painted dreams, Michel Ende wrote the dreams down. And this book, as in the film, it begins with a young lad, uh, you know, storming in, into a bookshop. And he's panting away. Yeah, he's panting away and he's just trying to hide because he's being bullied. And to be fair, I'm going to say this the film does a great job in, I think the film does a good job in portraying the first half of the book. So I'll get to that in a second. Anyway, if you know the film, you know all of the first half of the story that I'm saying. So the boy is called Bastian Balthazar Books. So a lot of BBBs. I think that's coincidental. There's something about his surname is Books. B-U-X. Oh, his surname. Okay. okay. His surname is Books. And uh, yeah, you know, the the salesperson there uh, is called Karl Konrad Koriander, Love Case. And he said, well, it's an interesting name. They have a chat. But he kind of gets tired of the boy and tells him to go now. You know, that's, yeah, it's, it's not very, it's not very, it's not very fantastic. It's just kind of, all right, this boy is being bullied and it's raining outside. Uh, but Bastian sees a book and there's something about the book. There's uh, an image there of, uh, of two snakes biting each other's tail, just as you might see here very mm-hmm. vaguely. One snail is biting the other tail and while the other snail bites the other tail. And it's called The Never-Ending Story, The Unendliche Geschichte. Um, and yeah, and he just decides to steal the book, which he never d- done before. He steals the book. He can't help it. And he escapes and he hides up. He goes to school. It's school time, but he doesn't go to class. He just uh, runs up to the attic and he begins reading the book. And he really decides that he's never, ever going to go back to his life. He's just going to stay here until he's finished reading that book and because he doesn't think life has a future anymore. It turns out his, his mom has passed away 
and his dad is distant to him and he's being bullied. He's a bit rotund. Um, he's a bit pale. He's not right. good at sports. Just brief public service announcement. We do recommend getting your hands on as many books as possible. We don't necessarily endorse theft. Not necessarily, no. So do get, so do pay your local book uh, <laughs> center. And um, right. Anyway, uh, I'm digressing a bit. Not digressing, but I feel there's so much content. I don't want to go endlessly about it. Although it is called the Netflix story. <laughs> um, he reads a book about, he reads a story about Atreyu, Atreyu, who um, is sent from, he, he's sent to save Fantasia. So it's a world with, that's endless. It's an endless world where all fantastic creatures live. Very surreal imagery. So here's where the surreal imagery begins. And what I love about this, I love uh, the style. There's two stories you can see when it's changed because the real life story is in red ink. The Fantasia is green ink. So it does start switching between yes. them. Yes. Now, and does that get, you know, is that hard on the eyes or is it fine? No, no, no. No, it's fine. It's just clear red uh, ink and one is okay. green. It's just instead of black. No, it doesn't disturb me. It's very easy to read. It's, um, and it's not very, exper- it's not terribly crazy experimental with the language as well. It uses very fine vocabulary. Uh, and he does go a bit medieval kind of esque in the Fantasia, but nothing too crazy experimental like with McCarthy. Well, Fantasia is this world basically it begins with uh, a couple of creatures meeting up and they talk about the, the nothing that's nicht. Sorry if I'm getting the translation wrong. It might be different in English, but in German it's just that's nicht. It's literally nothingness is creeping upon the kingdom and eating up the world. And when you look into nothingness, you are blinded because you cannot even see nothingness. You're looking into nothingness. It's a very, very, it's a very, it's already a great concept because turning into film is a problem here because they're looking at nothing. And the film is just like a black smoke, but they're looking at nothing. They're actually blinded. So for me, it's more like a white image. Where it's like you can't, it's like the sun. Uh, Fantasia is disappearing from all corners, uh, even though it's supposed to be endless. That's not that doesn't seem, that's ironically not true. There's a juxtaposition here. Ah. It's kind of also disappearing. And the ruler of the of Fantasia is that's the Kinderliche Kaiser and the the child um, Caesar. Except she's a, she's a girl, so like the child empress, and she rules not by demanding. She rules by by trust. Everyone trusts her, and she just is. She doesn't ever interfere. So there's an interesting kind of Buddhist concept as well. He's very he's a bit influenced by Buddhism and Taoism as well. That's what I like about Ente. And she got sex she she accepts it as well. She accepts so she's interesting. She's not she's not going ever against the the dark force that is the nothingness. Supposedly it's dark. But she does send Atreyu. She said there's one child who can save the world, our world, and that's Atreyu. And then she sends up Atreyu she sends off um, a doctor to look for Atreyu, and Atreyu then gets the medal. He gets a medal from the uh, Empress, um, which will defend him, basically. So, and then he goes up, then he goes to find the reason. And I won't think to, to, to describe the whole story would take ages because he really ended, does not use the Anna Karenin method. And I appreciate mm-hmm. that about him. Really, there is. Great it's all story content. It's not filler. Yeah, yeah. It's all. It's all. It's a big saga. This this novel, 
And I'm not going to like, go into detail because it would take too long. And I think it's real treats what happens. But let's just say okay. that I love the concept that he's trying to find a solution and he has no idea what to and do. PJ, so you're, literally... you're going to disappoint the uh, fans of the um, Discovery of Heaven method, which is they're looking for a longer in-depth uh, monologue from you there. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I, hold on, but I've still got a lot to say, though. Hold on a uh, so the book I'll just, I'll relax. I'll sit back. So, in a certain, the chapters are uh, there are twenty six chapters. There, it always begins with one letter and okay. an image of, of the chapter. I love that. So it's a big, it's a big homage to uh, not exactly literature, I would say, but more to fairy tales and to Grimm and all those kind of things, and. But I, I, I want to focus on what happens. I want to skip ahead a bit. So if you know the film, it's pretty much what happens in the book. He goes to find the uh, solution for nothingness. And he doesn't really find anything. That's the problem. He just goes from one thing to the next. But it's intuition. This is, the book is about intuition. And the, and the medallion uh, the princess gave to him kind of guides him. And he feels where to go. And he meets... Uh, Fuhua, the look dragon. So he finds a dragon that brings him look. So there are many things that kind of guide him and that bring him to the right direction. But he also there are also some mishaps and he actually starts, at one point I think, was a financial thing, he goes to Spook Town, which is literally just a town filled up with all the horrors of Fantasia. And it becomes interesting because Fantasia is really it's a world where people's imagination, dreams, and projections are kind of are kind of thrown into this world. So whatever fears you have, for example, Ogo does this one town, Spooktown. And um, so it gets lost in like in like actual people's fears and everything. But to skip ahead, then I just want to mention that the second half of the book, the film ends with the first half of the book. And it kind of gives a nice ending there where the boy, he basic, he basically, this is a slight spoiler, I have to say this, but the boy from the real world starts realizing that he's mentioned in the book and that he's asked by Fantasia to maybe intervene and to try and save them because they think only the boy, a real boy, can save the world because what they need is a new name for the princess. They need new names. They need new ideas. The reason why Fantasia is dying is because fantasy, imagination, and humanity is dying. Right. And if there's one thing that book, there, if there's one thing that books can do, is he does tell stories to himself. And he does seem to have that one talent. So they feel that this boy could save Fantasia by giving new names. And this is the part where it becomes really interesting when he is sucked into this universe. He saves the day in, in some sense. He saves the day by giving the princess a new name. It's kind of like a deals ex machina almost, mm-hmm. because the solution at the end is so simple. He just gives her a new name, and that, and then the world is saved. And then it, it goes at that point. It's it's only like the tenth chapter, and it's really the end of the film. So I was wondering, kind of, oh, what's going on? There's so much left in the book. And he asks, "Is this the end of the story?" And she says, "No, it's the beginning." But the uh-huh. film ends there. The film doesn't continue with that because I think it's too crazy what happens. That it's way too here. It really goes over the top. He basically co- he he basically recreates a new Fantasia because what he has is he has the gift of a storyteller, and he starts just wishing away because he realizes he gets the medallion himself, 
mm-hmm. from, from the princess. But when you turn to the Rav, he has the phrase, tu was du willst. And that's kind of hard to translate because it means two things in English. It means do what you want, or you can translate it as do what your will demands you to do. But he oh, can that's a very different like, uh, statement. And well, here's something interesting, Dean. I find it interesting because that's exactly one of the mistranslations you got from Nietzsche. Because Nietzsche talks about in German, uh, der Macht des Willens, which is the power of the will. That people have interpreted that as the will, as the will to power instead to do. So this is our translation. Mm. And that's why Nietzsche has been described as a Nazi philosopher. He wasn't. He's a vitalist, not at all a Nazi. He just talked about the power of decisions. So this does take a slight Nietzschean approach because Nietzsche even talks about, if you study Nietzsche, it talks about the camel, the lion, and the child being the most powerful figure because the child is just creating everything from once. And this story is literally a novel about that where he just recreates Fantasia. But the thing is, just because he can do what he wants and everything becomes fulfilled, <laughs> that we're going back in a circle here. There are two types of tragedies in your life. One is you don't get what you want. One is you do get. The thing is he gets what he wants and Fantasia becomes real twisted. And it uh... comes at a price. It comes at a price. Every time he every time he wishes for something, he loses a part of himself and memory. So eventually he becomes lost in Fantasia and himself. Well, and that's really twisted because he, he gets unconsciously lost in, 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 in Fantasia. Do I need to warn you about spoilers, PJ? It sounds like we're going beyond the end of the film. We're going to the end of the book. We have a, an anti-spoiler <laughs> policy on this show. No, no, I know. Well, Imposed by your good self. You're breaking the whole time. But that's it I want to say. Um, I just want to say that it becomes so dark. My God, this is definitely not not like your classic children's book. Um, it's written beautifully. It's the concept, like that's just that's just a snippet of it. The best part of the book are the last four chapters. That's like the most heartbreaking part, really. Uh, chapters W to Z. That's where I feel like, and it twists again. It's like you think it goes a certain direction. At one point, I think it goes Lord of the Rings S, which is a very, very war scene. I think I think ah, I don't want this right now. I didn't like that about Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I like the philosophical part of Lord of the Rings, and, and, and thank God it changes again. And I just want to say there is one chapter in it which is about, he, which is about, I don't want to spoil it, but let's just don't say like he does, there are certain degrees of what you truly want. And when he goes towards the last wishes, there's one which is really heartbreaking, I say. Um, and you might, if you if you guys read it, you'll see, ah, yeah, that makes sense. If you read the beginning of the book, what he truly desires. And it's really heartbreaking, actually, the last few chapters. Um, well, ex- ex- extremely beautiful. It's got one of the best endings and one of the best finalizing chapters. Uh, and it's, there is well, a How long mass- is the book? It, it, it page kind. No, it's only about, um, you know, it feels very long in some sense. And it took me a long time to read. It took me a good three weeks to read. It's only 400 pages. Okay, but I'd say so it's so dense in philosophical content. In some sense, you kind of, I feel like you need to read it slowly and digest it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, and I just want to mention the scariest part of the book is not Spooktown. The scariest part of the book is Madtown, where people lose themselves. And that's similar as in Momo. I feel like if Momo is about the philosophy of time and about people losing time, this is about people losing their minds and imaginations and selling their souls. So there's like, 
always these dark themes, Momo, but they're always fairy tale stories. But they're really relevant because, like, just like just like we lose our sense of time, and that we're giving, you know, we're giving away time. That's what Momo is all about. Here's like we're giving away our own imagination. We don't even have imaginations. Like we're we're disappearing really, or in our our inner worlds. They're just like okay. static. So I hope that wasn't too much of a monologue, but I I, I just want to say, guys, one more time, this is one of the best books I've ever read in my life. Highly recommend it. I love and uh, and that's the end. Good, that's Pull. the end. No, your your uh, your enthusiasm uh, that's true, good sir. <laughs> so that's all. That that is literally <laughs> the end of end. Well, not quite the end. It's it's unending, so it's mm. not quite the end. But for the moment.